0: in Ruth. We're calling this series Subversive Kindness, and last week, if you didn't catch it, we'd encourage you to to grab the podcast or even the notes we threw up on the the Facebook page. Uh, If you're not a member of that, you can just kind of search for Central Bible Church and ask to join. It's a a private uh, Facebook group, but we're wanting to have a little more discussion as we go through our, our teaching series, so you can throw up questions or discussions on that That Facebook post where I I cover the nine points, or you also got these little things in your, uh, kind of the front pouch uh, of of the pew, we'd love to hear what thoughts and questions and reflections you have as you think of them through this series, you can put them into the the offering uh, box or email them in uh, so that we can just continue dialoguing. So last week we began, and we called it a, a subversive little book right, that it's not simply, it's not like just the chick flip, uh, flick of the Bible, right, it's not just this this happy little love story uh, that's, that's the intermission in between, like, these really manly, violent Old Testament books, right, like, there, there's something deeper going on, and there's something even, we said, subversive uh, to the audiences of that day and how it deals with issues of gender and how how the women take the... the center stage of the story and how they're widows and how there's, there's uh, refugees and immigration and people on the margins who are brought to center stage and, and how it, it deals with all these, these challenging, subversive issues and, and this up, upside-down nature of God's redemptive story. Um, and now we're going to jump into the book and we're just going to walk through it. We're just going to read through it as a story uh, and, and see if, if God doesn't then begin to work some of those subversive truths into our hearts and as we begin this story the major question that we're going to ask in Ruth chapter 1 which is where we're going to be is simply this where is God in our suffering it's a question that that Naomi wrestles with and that we're as readers of the story invited together with her to wrestle with that question so, let's start reading. Where is God in our suffering? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. And it will help you just pull up your Bible. I'm reading from the ESB, whatever translation you have. Read along as we, as we walk through this. So here you have the situation, right? We said the time of judges was a gnarly difficult time in Israel's history. If you turn one page back in your Bible, the book of Judges ends with this, uh, this basic idea that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was dog eat dog. It was, was everyone looking out for number one. It was, it was throw off the, the moral constraints and do whatever seems right in your own eyes. Not too unlike today. And this was, this was the world. That that this the story is set in. And then you have on top of that a famine in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew is house of bread. And so there's no bread in the bread basket. There's no bread in the place where there should be. And so you have this, this family then that sojourns out of the place of blessing, out of the promised land, into Moab into this place that was, that was known as, hey, these were the enemies of God. These were, uh, this was a, a nation that, that was known for its immorality, for its, uh, its child sacrifice. They worshipped a God named Chemosh. And, and like, it was just this gnarly place. like Israel was bad in the time of Judges. How much worse was Moab? And so you have a story. And the setting is a family flees famine and sojourns into Moab. It says, the name of the man, verse 2, was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. And so there's this little bit of irony here. The guy's name means, my God is king. And so God is king in the midst of famine in the midst of this craziness in the time of judges and sojourning and being a refugee. And so it forces us to beg the question, is your God king? Where is God in the midst of this suffering? Is he really king? And then in verse 3, it gets even worse. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. My God is king, died. Where is God on the throne? Where is he in this suffering? And she was left with her two sons. Okay, so they're left. But at least she has her sons, right? At least she has her boys. She has hope. In this, in this world of, uh, where, where she's a widow alone in a foreign nation, right? At least she has her boys. And these took Moabot wives The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. Okay, there's some hope. There's a little sketchiness here, right? If you read the Hebrew scriptures, you're like, oh, maybe that's not the best idea to to marry Moabite women. But okay, hey, it's better than nothing, right? So there's some hope. Now maybe they'll have kids. Now there'll be hope. And then we read this. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband and so that very little hope that remained that she had sons that they married that disappears it fades away there is no hope left for Naomi she is a woman widowed probably beyond childbearing years and she's lost her two sons and she's left only then with their Moabite, Moabite widows. And these three women are left all alone. And if you think about what are, the, what are those things in life provisionally, right? That our physical needs that we hope for most and put our most security in. Right? Fundamentally, right? It's food. I need food on the table to live. Right? So most foundationally, we ask God, would you provide my daily bread? We, we need to get a job, we need to work, we need food so we're not starving, right? That need is gone. There's famine, she flees. Then we seek companionship in life, right? God, I want someone to share my life with. And we, we, we find our spouse, we find that person that we love, that we want to live our life with. That's another security that we have in life. That is stripped from her. She loses her husband right? And then we think also about a home, right? You have a home that you love. That's your security. She loses her home, too. She has to flee to a foreign land. And then finally, we think about having kids, right? A name that will, that will carry on, the delight and joy of, of having a family. And that, too, is stripped from her. Every single life comfort that we seek as human beings are stripped from this woman, And she has despair. And so in that question of where is God in our suffering? The first answer that this this beginning of the story gives us is, you know what? Your suffering is pointless. We don't see God in this. God is not here. And my God as king has died. And so that's that first answer in the midst of suffering that we feel like, you know what? I think my suffering is just pointless. And that's probably what Naomi felt. Then in verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-law, her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So here is the first mention of God in this book. And we see that God is a God who provides. She hears, she hears rumor. She gets a message from Israel that God has blessed his people. He's returned to them, and he has given them food. And so we see that God is present in provision and in providence in caring for his people. There's a little bit of hope there, right? So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So they're going to return. This is a key word. You might even underline it in your Bibles, return. We see it again and again in the book of Ruth. She's returning back into, this pro- into the promised land, into the place that God has promised to bless. So probably what happens, and is she's, she has in her mind, and we're gonna see in a little bit, that she's gonna go alone back to Israel. But she can't say goodbye to her daughters-in-law in their home in Moab. She starts on the journey. and We don't know if it was just a, a, a cultural journey, A thing where you would journey with someone as you're saying goodbye, or if it was her way to kind of make it easier to say goodbye. But she has said in her mind that it's best for her daughters in law to stay in Moab, and she's gonna go alone. She's already lost her husband and her sons. Now she's gonna give up these two daughters in law, and she's gonna return alone. And then in verse 8, she's gonna speak. We're gonna see the first words spoken in this story. Now, if you read Hebrew narratives, you might notice throughout the whole Bible that it's very to the point, right? I used to teach um, a writing class for my my oldest daughter and for some junior high kids, and we taught them the value of using like uh, strong adjectives, using lots of good descriptor words. Like you don't just say good; you say right. You say something like. Um, excellent or uh, fabulous or you don't just say he said you say like he declared or he lisped or uh, like like you use other fun adjectives and words to describe things in a good book that you might read in a modern day right novel you pick off the shelf there's all these vivid descriptions right of the setting and of the characters and that's what makes good writing You even notice in the bible that there's almost none of that Right? You don't get, oh, and the setting was like this. We don't know what Moab was like. We don't know what Bethlehem was like. We don't know what these women look like. None of it. Because in that style of writing, we learn about the characters. The descriptors come out, not through all this fancy flowery language. It comes out through the actions of the people and through the words that they speak. So that's how the characters d- develop. And so as we read, this is important. How they speak reveal to us their hearts. Okay, so pay attention to this. We're going we're to see the first glimpse into how Naomi is responding to the tragedy in her life. Verse 8, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The first words of this book are a prayer. This is a book where God is in the background, right? But we see that that, that he's there. And so the first words are a prayer. And she's praying a blessing on her daughters-in-law. And she says that, you know, God is kind. This is the first use of that word hesed. God's covenant love, God's kindness that goes above and beyond the expectations and requirements. His surprising and amazing loyalty, right? She says, may God be kind to you. Now, I don't know. As I try to get inside Naomi's head, my my sense is that she feels totally forsaken by God. But she does know that God is kind but she just doesn't think God is kind to her. And so her prayer is, God, would you be kind to them at least? They have done good to me and to my husband and to my sons. Would you be kind to them? And so we have a a hint that God is kind and good, but perhaps not to Naomi. And she's going to say this four times. Four times she's going to try to get them to go home. And and we're going to see their response, and it's, it's 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 heartbreaking, honestly. And so she says, "The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband." Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And I, as I, I tried to picture this scene, I, I <laughs> all like the most heartbreaking movie like goodbye scenes came to mind. And it's like I, I just realized, you know, Hollywood has nothing on the story of Ruth. Like like nothing. (laughs) Hollywood tries all that it can to give, like, that heartbreaking goodbye. And it just doesn't capture this moment where she, with all of her heart, loves these girls and wants to be with them. And yet, because she loves them, she's telling them to go. Because she loves them, she says, You can't stay with me. I have nothing for you. You need to go back to to your family's house. Right? And she kisses them goodbye, and they weep. And they cry in that goodbye. And then in verse 10, And they said to her, this is their response, No, we will return with you to your people. So they're, No, we're not going to go. We can't leave you. But Naomi said, this is her second time she says it, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Third time, Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear, should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Do you, do you hear that? She's saying, the impossible could happen. I could get married today, conceive tonight, and bear sons, maybe twins. Right? Would you then wait for those, those little boys to grow up and marry them like so it's this unheard of like that's not going to happen but she said that's the best i could do and that's impossible the impossible cannot happen and therefore you coming with me is hopeless your chances of survival your chances of remarriage your chances of having children and a life on your own only exists back in moab Back in Moab, that's where you have hope. So leave me alone. God has already forsaken me. I've lost my husband. I've lost my sons. I've dropped the mic. Like, there's nothing left. You leave me too. That's what she's saying. She has no hope left. And look at that line. If I should say I have hope. Does she have hope? She does. She's, She buried it with her husband. And then she buried it with her sons. She doesn't have hope. And that question, where is God in our suffering? Is it pointless? Is our suffering pointless? Look what she says here. She says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She takes it one step further. She says, my suffering is not pointless. It is punishment. She feels punished by God. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. She says, I have no hope. God is against me. You, you need to leave me because I am a curse. And if you stay with me, you will be cursed too. Go on your And let me go out alone, back to my land. That's like the bottom, right? She's at the bottom. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. (laughs) And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And so one of them says, okay, I give in. He said three times to leave. You're right, I'm convinced. I have no hope going with you. I'm going to take my chances back in Moab. And Orpah leaves and kisses Naomi goodbye. But it says that Ruth clings to her. This is a, the same word used to speak about clinging together in marriage. This is a, a covenantal joining and, and remaining. She, she doesn't leave. And we see in Naomi here, like some of us might be uncomfortable with this type of language where she's, she's like, She's shaking her fist at, at, at the heavens. She's like, God, you're, you're angry at me. This is bitter for me. But we see in this, right, Job? We see in this the, the story of a man broken, right? Losing everything and then arguing with God. We see in this the psalmist and David, right, crying out to God. God, God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? I, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. And we read it in the laments, Right In the Psalms, that there's this struggle, there's this honesty with God, and we have this invitation to be honest with God, and we have the Psalms in story form through the life of Naomi. And we also see here this theme of God's presence. Where is God in our suffering? Well, we, we heard earlier that he gave food back to Israel, right? He provides, and he's kind. But we also see here, she says, but you know what? God's hand is against me. God is also present in our suffering. The message of the book of Ruth is that that God is present in famine and in fortune. He's there working his purposes through it all. So what's going to happen? We're going to see that as Orpah walks away into the sunset, Ruth remains there. And Naomi's going to try one more time. To get her to leave. In verse 15. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Look, she's left. And, And here, this theme of to her people and to her gods. And we see the significance here. That the people of Moab, they had their community, their religion, their worship. And that a decision to go with Naomi was a decision to fully break with Ruth's past, with her worship, with her her people, with everything from her past. And she's saying, no, you can't do that, Ruth. Go back to the familiar. Go back to what is known to you. And then listen to this. Ruth's response. And there may not be more beautiful Language of commitment and love and, and, and covenantal uh, loyalty. Anywhere else in all of literature. Like, this is amazing. right? But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you." Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? That is so amazing, and what we see here is this picture of this subversive kindness, this amazing covenantal loyalty that goes beyond any expectation or requirement or obligation, right? There are no social laws or expectations on Ruth to remain with Naomi. It's entirely sensible to go back into Moab, and yet she goes above and beyond. And and we see... In this, this amazing picture of this covenantal love, and we see this this amazing picture of what it means to to come as an outsider into and join the people of God. Okay, and so we and we we learn from the New Testament and from the from the gospel that all of us are outsiders, that all of us were strangers, right, to the, the people of God, strangers to the covenants and the promises. We were on the outside and God, through the Messiah, has invited us in. That's our one hope to be included in the people of God. And it's amazing, as you see, she's leaving everything. She has no backup plan, no plan B. This is not just, okay, I'm going to stick with you because I, I, I feel some obligation or some loyalty to you, so I'm going to go with you to, uh, back into Bethlehem and I'm going to Try to care for you in your old age, but then when you die, okay, now I can go back to my people. And as, a, as Naomi being, right, uh, an, an older age, maybe a, a grandmother age, past childbearing years, maybe she only had another 10 years of life, right? And so for Ruth, as a young woman, she could foresee, go back, care for, for my mother-in-law, and then, okay, now I can still have a second chapter in life back in Moab. That's not what she does. She leaves herself no out. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. I'm finding a new identity with the people of God. Your God will be my God. I want him to be my covenant God. And then, get this, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Never again will my family line be buried in Moab. We will, she's saying, bury me in your tomb. Bury me alongside your family. That's where I want to be. I have no plan B. I have no out. I am all in to this relationship. Now, if you've read the Gospels, if you know the story of Jesus, you know that that that's all of our story. If you have... If you have made that decision to say, I will follow Jesus, I will apprentice myself to him, you have no plan B. You you can't look back and say, well, if it doesn't work out, oh, I got got another plan. Look at these words. This is from John chapter 6. After Jesus gives a hard teaching where he describes himself as the bread of life, and, and the need to come, and use uses metaphoric language, to eat his flesh, drink his blood, to join yourself fully to him. A number of his disciples leave and say, we can't handle this. This is too hard. We're, we're going back to our people, to our ways. Jesus says this to his 12 disciples. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, it's a very similar scene. As many are leaving because of the hard teachings of what it means to follow Jesus and the commitment that it takes. Many left and he says, are you going to leave too? And they just said, we have nowhere else to go. You alone have the words of eternal life or... Listen to these words in Matthew chapter 10 verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is this picture of discipleship. Right? And we see it embodied in Ruth. She is the the quintessential disciple of the Old Testament who has left everything to follow Jesus. Right? It's an entire shift in her identity. Nothing remains from her old life. And she says, no, I will go. I am forsaking my family. I'm forsaking my way of life. I am taking up my cross and following Jesus. And And we see that, right? Naomi is this this suffering one. Naomi has a heavy cross to bear. And Ruth knows the decision to follow Naomi is a decision to take up the cross. It's a decision to take on suffering and to sacrifice. And that is the call that every one of us has And whether you make that decision for the first time now and you're debating what it means and you you see yourself there, Ruth and Orpah deciding, am I gonna follow Jesus or am I gonna go back to the familiar, to the safe? Right? The, The story ends for Orpah. Right? The story just begins for Ruth. I encourage you, Look at that. Look at the beauty of what that call is, to die with Jesus. Now let's look at this last little scene, this final scene, and how how Naomi responds. Listen to this. She has nothing else to say. Verse 18, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. (laughs) Four times Naomi says, Leave, leave. You can't stay with me. You can't stay with me. (laughs) And you see, right, I think it's like even five things that Ruth says, this I will do, this I will do, this I will do. And she answers every one of them with, no, I am committed. And Naomi has nothing left to say. And it's like this little, this quiet in the scene. And so we just picture them walking silently together back to Bethlehem. And so... I ask the question, right? Where is God in our suffering? Was it, is it pointless? Is it, is it punishment? We get to see another picture here. We begin to see that God, in and through Naomi's suffering, that God is, is actually working his providence. That the suffering is providential. That God is using it to bring redemption. We don't yet see the redemption in Naomi's life, right? She is still the lowest of the low. But we begin to see God's work in Ruth, don't we? Ruth met Yahweh, met the God of Israel through the faithful, suffering witness of Naomi. God is working redemption. God is, is, is providentially, And I, I love that word because providence speaks both of God's sovereignty in all these situations, but you hear the sound provide, providential. It also speaks not just of God working in in everything, but he's providing good gifts in the midst of everything. This suffering isn't pointless. It's not punishment. It's actually providential. And now this final scene, she's going to return to Israel, and we're going to see something amazing. In verse... 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? So we don't know if it's, it's like she looks so like, like the years have been unkind to her, right? She just suffered so greatly and she's, she's just aged so much that they look at her like, is that really Naomi? Or maybe it's, they're just amazed to see her. Could that be Naomi? Like, like we, had, we haven't seen her in over a decade. Like, like what has happened? Why, why is she here now? And here is she with this Moabite woman? What, is, what has happened? And now Naomi speaks. And again, we, we pay attention to the dialogue, to the words. She's going to reveal her heart and the woundedness that she feels. She said to them, And she's going to say this again four times about God. We're going to see in her heart the turmoil that she has in her relationship with God. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord, second one, has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, you're pleasant when the third one, the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me. Where is God in our suffering? Naomi is asking even another question. Is God even good in my suffering? Is he good? What is he doing? What what is his purpose in this? Is this punishment? So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So we see a little bit of hope, a little bit of life. In this chapter, there's movement, right? From famine to exile, return to harvest. There's, there's a glimmer of hope that we see here that coincidentally <laughs> they return right at harvest, right when, when God is gifting his people with abundance. Is God good? Is God working in our suffering? There's something here that I, I'd never seen before. But if, if you read the, the scriptures, you read especially the, 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 the Hebrew scriptures, and you see the narrative, there's, there's a common story of women suffering with infertility, right? women suffering from widowhood and trusting God to miraculously provide a child. And then God shows up and then uses that child in a powerful way. And there's a theme through the scriptures of, of a godly man unjustly suffering. Right? We think of Joseph, who's, uh, who's sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, who goes through suffering after suffering, is thrown into prison, right? And then God lifts him up and, and makes him the second in command in Egypt. And then the brothers, there's a famine in the land, and the brothers come back. This is at the end of the book of Genesis. And, and he, he says to them at the end of the book of Genesis, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. And we see Joseph as this picture of the one who suffers unjustly, who then God, through his suffering, brings salvation. We see even the book of Job, right? This, the righteous man who suffers, but God, through that, brings salvation and redemption. And it's this theme, and it brings us to Jesus, right? Where where the the righteous one suffers unjustly so that redemption can come into the world. Now, what's so amazing about this story is that in the person of Ruth, this theme of of the, the barren widow interweaves with the theme of the righteous suffering servant. Naomi is the Joseph. And Naomi is the Sarah of the Old Testament. And she is Jesus coming forth through the Hebrew Scriptures. Look at this. Who does this remind you of? Right? Where she says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Jesus on the cross drank the bitter wine. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Jesus emptied himself for us. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Lord Almighty has brought calamity against me. God, if you would, would you remove this cup for me? Right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said those words on the cross. Look at this. This is from Isaiah 53. And I, I want you to, in, in, in prophecy, in this, the scriptures, they layer upon One another. So you you know, you read Isaiah 53, you think of Jesus, but think of think of Naomi as well. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Naomi is acquainted acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Is this Naomi? We don't even recognize her. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. She says, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Do you see, even in this story, the wounds of Naomi brought redemption to Ruth. The wounds of Naomi brought life and hope to a Moabite far from the people of God. Or look at this in Philippians where we see about the, where we learn about the kenosis. It's the idea of the emptying of Jesus, the emptying of God to become man. It says of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant leaves Bethlehem, which another little baby would be born there, right? And goes into a foreign land, goes into Moab and suffers and loses everything and is emptied of all her fullness and comes back and brings a lost one, brings a Moabite, brings a Gentile outside of the fold of God in To the fold of God. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. And and God tells that story through a widow and through a Moabite refugee. The gospel transforms us and invites us. I'm going to encourage you, and we're going to, as the the band comes up, we're going to respond in worship. And we're going to respond in in taking communion. And this is a hard teaching, right? Where Jesus, as he spoke to his disciples, he says, you can't be a part of me unless you you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Unless you, you fully find your sustenance and your hope for life in me. And you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to leave family and home, and all that you trust in your, your own self. And if you're not willing to die to yourself, you can't follow him. But if you do, there is hope in life. And we haven't, we haven't got to the rest of the story yet. We don't see how God is going to bring redemption. But it's good. <laughs> it will come. And as you, as you look at that decision, am I going to follow Jesus this week and for the rest of my life? You don't see how He is going to turn the suffering for good. But he will. He promises that in our suffering, he is working salvation. So let's take communion together. As as we worship, go up as you're ready. Take it with those that that you've you've come with. Gather with with one another and your families or friends. Let's remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed. Let me pray and we'll respond in worship. Jesus, you are good. You have done well. You have done above and beyond what we could have expected or hoped or dreamed. And as we hear the words of Ruth, we, we, we see both the call of discipleship, the call to follow you wherever you go, to lodge with you, to find our home with you, to be with you. And we see that where you died, we will die, that we will lay our life down and that is our hope that you you rose from the dead and that you are exalted above all and as we we cast our lot in with you you will you will bring us through death into life you will bring us through suffering into salvation and that is our hope and so we we join with you now thank you for this powerful story would you write us into your story desire to be formed by the word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church